Hello, welcome to the 15th episode of Floorcast, the NFT podcast. Forecast, Floorcast, see what we did there? You've got the British dulcet tones back. No more Corwin in the hot seat. We're a community-led podcast by the Floor NFT app community. If you don't know what Floor is, it's your very own NFT portfolio in your pocket, an app that aggregates all your NFTs into one amazing interface, showing you price movements, latest sales, and so much more. I'm your host, Pet Barisha. Corwin, how did it feel to be in the host seat last week, my friend? Felt great, Pet. Great to have you back, though. You know, no one really wanted to talk about the weather with me. So like having you here really sucks. Yeah, having you here really is game changing uh, for this podcast. So yeah. I heard you go by one take Corwin now. That's what Curtis was telling me <laughs> earlier. That's what Curtis told you. <laughs> it was a very smooth intro last week. It was, it was very good. Almost like he rehearsed it like the entire night before. <laughs> I was just staring in, a I was staring in the mirror at myself, like just repeating it 50 times. And I got it down. We're a community-led podcast. <laughs> yeah, where's the, where's the intro this time, Pat? <laughs> oh, I just did it. I just did it. Uh, as usual, we are joined by uh, Curtis J. Cummings. How are you doing, sir? I am doing great. It's another great week to be a JPEG enthusiast. Always a great week to be a JPEG enthusiast. And Chris Madden, how are you, sir? I am good, sir. Brilliant, brilliant. How are things going with you? Very well, man. It's a new week, got a bit of a cold, but apart from that, everything is strong. Oh, man. That is that is not good, but I hope you make a quick recovery. Right, I mean, look, a yes or no, Corwin, was the show better without me? Debatable, depends who you ask. I mean, if you're on the floor, NFTs, Discord, there was a lot of compliments being thrown out. Shit. In the Floorcast channel? My game. I did see Floorcast Twitter account tweet something like, Cricks are saying it's better without Pet, which was... That, that is a savage Twitter account these days, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Who's running that thing? We actually don't know. A lot of people have the logins, so it's it's kind of confusing to know who who tweets when and who's who's got an agenda against who. But anyway, look, we've got a lot of topics to get into because it's been a big, big week. And do you know what? I think we'll start with you, Curtis, because you've got a couple of interesting, not very good things that have happened um, over the last week. There were a lot of big drops, big anticipated drops, and some not very good technical things happen. So do you want to run us through your topic of the week? Yeah, sure. Uh, so yeah, I want to cover two different contract exploits that happened that people had requested in the community as well. The first one is the NBA association drop. So this one was where anyone could mint from the contract for free with this exploit. There was an allow list function in there that needed a signature. The problem is the contract checked that the signature was okay, but didn't check that your address minting was the one that generated the signature. So all you had to do is go back through Etherscan, get one of those valid signatures, and then you could just mint 20 for free. What ended up happening is after an hour, they closed down the mint and have airdropped a bunch of NFTs to people. But yeah, overall, tons of people, tons of addresses minted over a hundred of these. If you minted from contract, you could have minted out the entire collection pretty quickly. So it's good that they shut it down. But yeah, just, just a like super minor oversight on the dev side, but yeah, just that's all it takes. That's wild. Do you think they benefited from maybe some of the people who are minting these things, not being that tech savvy? Otherwise they might've just had no collection at the end of it. Because that is a, I mean, you say small oversight, but it's a, a pretty important one, right? Yeah, it's it's interesting because a lot of people, like especially for bigger brands, the some of the target market 
are going to be newer than NFTs. So you might not think that they're as adversarial, but for every new person in NFTs, there's someone who's been in there forever and is going to read your contract, is going to be checking Etherscan. So I think we just need to breed a, a better culture of reviewing these contracts, thinking more adversarially, like what are all the ways that someone can mess up this mint and just make sure that we we check against those things. Yeah, and it's interesting, right? Like I think there's been a bit of unhappiness from a lot of the like NBA NFT crowd from NBA launching their own NFTs when they've got top shots already and you know the volumes from top shop have slowed. I know they've done some adjustments recently to try and get that market booming again. But I guess when you've already got a an audience on edge who are like, oh, there's this new thing that might step on the toes of the thing that I own, and then there's a an exploit in the contract is it's not ideal, is it? So not good. But that wasn't the only exploit, was it, Curtis? NBA ex-NFTs were not alone. No, there was another bigger one. Aku dropped this week as well, which is a very hyped up project. A lot of people really uh, bullish on the art and the artists behind it. So they had a mechanic where they accepted bids and the lowest bid at the end of a certain period would determine what the actual mint price was. And everyone else would get refunded the difference between what they bid and what the actual final price was. Pretty cool mechanic. There was a couple oversights in the, the contract though. One was that the refund... If you minted from a contract, there's a way to actually block transfers of ETH coming back into a contract. And so what someone did was they exploited this by minting from contract and then setting up that block so that when they tried to refund, the contract wouldn't accept the ETH back. And so what you essentially did was lock up the entire contract because there's a couple checks in there that won't let the team take out their funds until all the refunds have been processed. And so what this hacker essentially did was they just blocked the entire contract. Eventually, they released that block and let refunds continue to go through. But there's another exploit discovered, which was uh, they had two functions, one that counted up how many bids happened. And on the other side, there's another function that was keeping track of how many refunds were released. And the idea was that the team cannot take out any funds from the contract until they've put refunds out for all the bids. Makes total sense. Make sure that the team can't just rug everyone and, and run before any of the refunds go out. The problem is the math they were doing in the two functions were different. In one case, they're counting the bids. In the other one, they're just uh, counting up by one. And so they're left with a contract that is completely locked because they'll never, unless they can change the laws of uh, mathematics, they will never have the refunds actually fully, like that number will never actually get to zero. So they'll never actually, according to the code in the contract, they will never have given all the refunds back because they just counted things incorrectly. And what have they done since? Is that because I've just read that this is like 30 to 40 million dollars worth of ETH just basically locked away forever? Yeah, so it's 34 million dollars locked in that contract forever. So the team has, so what the team did is they minted out the rest of the collection and has airdropped all of the NFTs to the, the people who minted. They have issued most of the refunds manually, not through the contract. And the collection itself is doing pretty well. Uh, last time I checked, uh, floor price was around 2 ETH. Uh, they've done 6.5K in volume. So, And people are still loving the art, loving the collection. So it's doing well on secondary. And there's a lot of support around the artist and the team that did it. It's just that that initial funding, the $34 million, is locked away forever in that contract. Mm. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people are fans of Mika Johnson, you know, former form baseballer turned artist. He's got a really great story behind the nft project aqua dreams and yeah it's, it's good to see the community like rallying after like a what was clearly an honest mistake i suppose it's still slight incompetence on their part but 
I think you get saving grace. You, you kind of get let off if you are a legitimately good team with a good idea and a good project. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of happy as like, like a, a sports ball NFT person. I'm happy to kind of see that happening. Corwin, any thoughts on either AccuDreams or NBA? This keeps happening um, with a lot of contracts. We've we've seen this week over week almost. I'm curious if there's like some sort of AI or software that can just start auditing contracts or maybe some famous auditing contract company is going to come out of nowhere. But like this is um, this is not really a good look for a lot of these companies who are deploying these contracts. Well, a lot of the contracts that are deployed, uh, they're not, they're, they're kind of modular in a sense that a lot of people are just copying and pasting them, right, Curtis? So it's only when people start getting a bit more, like down a, a bit more of a complicated route that, that things get messed up. If I'm not mistaken, yeah, there's a, there's a couple things at play. Um, I mean, developers that are new to Web three, I mean, we're used to shipping stuff and then being able to fix the bugs in contracts. Once you ship it, it's it's done. Like you, it's immutable at that point. You cannot change the thing and cannot fix the bug unless you're wrapping or doing other crazy things. So I th- think it's just the demand for devs is so high that some of these projects are just hiring what is available. And then the other thing with the centrally audited contracts you've got to be careful with that too because we're meant to have like these decentralized systems but then if you run everything through a central contract auditor then like how how is that any different than just what we what we had before in web 2 so yeah very interesting hopefully i wish people would just copy and paste the really good contracts and stop trying to write everything from scratch but uh yeah i guess that's that's where we're at as well i think like with this new realm of like proxy contracts it would be cool too but then you're kind of going away from the oh well what if they don't want to honor their refund or you don't want to be as decentralized as you could be so it's just a cool other route for people to take right let's move on to our next topic chris let's go over to you as you didn't have much input in that first topic you've got probably the best one of this week Run us through it, my friend. So let me have a fun one. It's been a very interesting week for the Moonbirds. Uh, I'm interested to hear all of your takes. So for anyone who wasn't watching, last weekend, last Friday, last Saturday, a week ago, the proof team released Moonbirds. Uh, everyone who had a proof got some access uh, to Moonbirds. I think it was a 2.5 ETH mint for a moment proof. And then they immediately went to the market, jumped to around 8 to 10 ETH that Saturday. And then throughout the week, went all the way up to, I think it was 40, 42 that they kind of peaked at, I think the following Friday, maybe. And so, you know, obviously very exciting journey. Uh, lots of folks pooling together, buying Moonbirds, a lot of excitement, probably a lot, probably the most new PFP on Twitter. And then uh, over the weekend, no, yesterday, Jesus, time means nothing. Whole bunch of FUD. You know, turns out that Kevin Rose and Ryan Carson kind of, there's 14 different tellings of this story that I've read. But the one that I kind of believe is that uh, Ryan Carson was always planning to kind of go and start his own new fund, one of the co founders of Proof and Moonbirds. And in Kevin Rose saying that he was going to come and be full time on Proof and Moonbirds, and Ryan wasn't willing to. And, co-locate and all of this kind of complexity uh, that essentially he was going to end up stepping away from the business. And so there's this news that the COO of Proof on Moonbirds is walking away from Moonbirds. And then at the same time, or like an hour later, after their $75 million-ish raised through the NFT sales, they announced that they were taking $10 million in equity financing from Alexis Hanyan's fund. And basically just the whole Twitter was just completely full of 
good news, but weird news, and like conspiracy theories and stories about what was going on over at Proof. They did a Twitter space and tried to kind of break down a lot of it. Uh, I didn't join, but I've read a lot of summaries, including a couple in the floor Discord. And some of it, most of it's kind of congruent with uh, other tellings. I'm super curious how the equity financing went down, uh, whether that was even planned beforehand, or whether he was just like, you know what, we need some positive news. Uh, Alexis, get in here, buddy. Can you like throw 10 million bucks in? Make it kind of like a good story as well as a, a challenging story. So yeah, yesterday was a really uh, long day, I would imagine, over at Proof Headquarters. Moonbird's price dropped by about 25%, but, you know, did not precipitously decline. And honestly, was probably due for, you know, a little bit of correction and a little bit of normalization at a slightly lower price, because you know, not many things go from 2.5 to 40 in three or four days and never touch 30 again. Uh, so, you know, it doesn't seem like an insane price for it to sit for a few days. And it seems like people are generally recovering and kind of still have long-term hope. Like Kevin Rose is, you know, very much the, like the true visionary and the operator that I think everyone's excited about. And so honestly, him coming full-time is, is very bullish news. I think, you know, Ryan massively mismanaged the announcement and ended up not coming off looking super great uh, through this whole thing, which is you know, too bad. What did it look like from where all of you were sitting? Well, first of all, gutted that I didn't even attempt the raffle because I'm clearly an idiot. I I have to, I mean, I want to ask the question, like, why would you raise 10 mil in equity financing after the, the initial Moonbird sale? Like, was that, I mean, I don't know, was that, was some of that to buy some of Ryan out? Or, like, I, 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 I just... You know, Chris, you've been a Web2 entrepreneur for a long time and now Web3 entrepreneur. I want to ask you the question, like, can you see any reasoning behind doing that? Buying him out or raising the equity money? Raising the equity money. You know, I think who the money's from is important. Ahanian and Williams, like, it's a, it's a strong investor. It's one that's, like, very hard not to take bullishly, whether it was announced alongside this or otherwise. So I can totally see aligning yourself with them whether that's through money or something else they're not hurting for 10 million dollars like they have 75 million bucks or whatever it is from the moonbird sale proof obviously they're still both primary and secondary on that so i don't think it's that they just needed 10 million dollars and i'll be honest i would imagine ryan carson probably walked away with little to nothing based on how the whole thing went down and particularly with the uncertainty about whether he improperly uh, acquired Moonbirds right before trait rarity was revealed. My guess is that he probably did do some kind of questionable stuff and that was a component of this and that he you know, probably received no consideration on the way out but who knows that's all pure speculation they certainly have no I think reason. Curtis I think Curtis told me that during the their spaces Kevin Rose says that they waived his one-year cliff, correct, Curtis? So he's making out with some money. Yeah, so I listened to that spaces. Kevin put on a masterclass for how to communicate. Like, that spaces is amazing. Uh, and I'll probably go listen to it again and take some notes on like how how do you deal with like just a huge FUD-generating event. But yeah, I think he did waive the one-year cliff for Ryan, which means he walked away with a pretty nice bag. The other thing, getting out of... Of 
equity though right not of liquid equity or certainly not cash yeah not liquid equity equity but i mean he did snipe a, a couple really nice moonbirds so he he's got some liquid as well on the investment side i i could see why they would do that to formalize the partnership with alexis whether there's board seats up for grabs or not but it, it does let because they've they've been collaborating for a bit on this and uh for as long as I've been listening to like Proof talk about Moonbirds, they've always talked about Alexis being involved in some way. This just lets them f- like uh, make that more final. Like, yeah, there is actually a formal relationship in place. Alexis is not like his full time thing is the fund, but at least he can be an advisor officially. I thought the announcement on his fund was one of the most bizarre things I've seen. just honestly speaking i'm right there with you it was so confusing because like if you look at it like some of the perks were like perks that proof and moonbird holders get and i'm like what is going on is he making something separate like it was just the whole thing was bizarre pet same page as you i just like reading the room that badly is yeah crazy to me i I really really didn't i mean if you look back at the last couple of days communication is not ryan's strong suit and Kevin, Kevin very mm. diplomatically explained that in the spaces in probably the, the nicest way you could like bury someone. He buried him. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, but yeah. like, like hours <laughs> after he, he's, he's he always talking about the floor. He said something like, he, he said something like, oh yeah, you know, we've had chats about taking tweets down and stuff like that. <laughs> Just a lot of weird stuff. And also the, all the all the confusion caused by the automatic unnesting or like the unnesting feature of listing where he's talking about floor prices, like that's caused so much confusion when in reality it was much simpler than that. He just, he kept talking about floor prices. Then he announced the fund, which is like the crazy tone deaf thing to do. <laughs> and and as far as uh, we know right now, depending on who's, uh, Kevin Rose said that they didn't expect him to announce it when he did. So he kind of announced it without all his partners knowing, or sorry, his partners improved knowing like, hey, this is actually coming out now. That's crazy. Seems nuts. That is genuinely crazy. I can't wait for Corwin to launch, launch his own NFT podcast and rug us. <laughs> they're gonna make a, gonna make a documentary about it. What's it? What's it gonna be called, Corwin? It's gonna be Corwin. It's gonna be called. It's gonna be called Ducks and Corwin. <laughs> oh my god! Did you guys go to the four twenty ducks party? <laughs> <laughs> no, but we have questions about that. Uh, yeah, that was my first party. Yeah, Chris made out like a bandit. We'll that get party into was that. amazing. Chris, what? But the he made out like a bandit. Of the whole thing was amazing. Chris literally has like the nineteenth rank. Oh yeah, my, rank duck now. <laughs> my crappy duck became very rare. <laughs> well, we'll move on. <laughs> Corwin, it's over to you for your topic now. Uh, I think you've, I think this might be the best array of topics we've ever had in an episode. I would say last episode when you weren't here, Pat, was probably the best. But my Fuck topic um, is a Solana project, believe it or not. I can't believe I'm saying this right now. But Step In, it's this like really cool app. Well, I can't say really cool because I haven't actually like dove super deep into it, but I've been hearing lots of good things about it. And you have to get like an access code. So I pretty much camped out their Discord for a couple hours until I was able to snipe an access code, uh, but I did it late at night, so I had a good chance of getting it. But what the app lets you do is you get rewards for walking, and you have like an NFT tied to it that's on Solana. And there's like a diff- there's like a bunch of different types of shoes you could get. There's like a runner, a jogger, a walker, and based on those types of shoes you get, you actually uh, gain more when you like you gain more points when you walk. 
Unfortunately, I don't have a shoe yet, so I haven't deep dive dove into it yet, but I know Pet and Chris do. I would love to hear about your experience, Chris. I know you told me that you were taking a meeting the other day and you just got $30 from walking around the block. It's really interesting. It is really, really interesting. So yeah, I signed up, I got my code, I got a shoe, I bought a jogger shoe, which I didn't realize any of the complexity to when I actually did it, which means in order to earn, I need to be walking between six and like 12 kilometers an hour or something like that. And so anytime I want to earn now, I have to be walking quite a little bit faster than I necessarily want to. So I basically power walked around a park for a one-on-one meeting and yeah, earned my I think I earned $30 just walking around a park. And it's a really interesting yield instrument where, you know, you pay your $1,000 or whatever for the shoe. They're not super cheap, but then the yield is not free. It doesn't just happen. You have to like proactively open the app and like start a run, start like a move session and then go and do something physical. And interestingly, I was talking last night with someone about this. I really think that the model could scale out to a lot of people, uh, to a lot of kind of normal people. I just can't help but feel like all of us DGENs in the kind of early adopter community today are going to find some way to completely take advantage of and break this tokenomic model and ruin it for everyone. So basically Axie Infinity, but like for walking instead. Or running, you can run. Like if you get, you know, different sneakers that are different speeds, you can like go for a proper run. And I think you earn more maybe when you run. I, I don't know. I could just imagine Chris walking around the park trying to trying to walk a little bit faster than normal to make sure. He gets do you want to do you want to hear something funny? I bought the the walker, so the max I can go is six kilometers an hour. So between zero and six, I'm earning. Like if I'm moving, right? Every time I hit over six, I had to like slow myself down a bit. You know, I was like, Pet, calm, calm down. So is it is it actually recording? So when you say that you're buying sneakers, it's not physical sneakers. You're just carrying your phone around, right? Yeah, yeah. you buy yeah. NFT sneakers. If you have children. You just say, here, take my phone and go run around the backyard. <laughs> <laughs> and you could actually buy from their app, too. It's, like, sick. Uh, it's a really cool little marketplace and wallet, yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of other dynamics to it where you can only earn when you have energy and your energy uh, gets refilled at certain points in the day. And so, like, I think, realistically, you can probably do maybe four or five 15, 20-minute periods where you're earning. If you like time it optimally and then the amount you can earn is uh, essentially your NFT shoe and its properties to find the multipliers on points and all of that stuff. It's really, really interesting. Um, I'd be interested. Is there a white paper for the model for the tokenomic? There is one. Yeah. I haven't read it either. I have to question how sustainable these things are, though. I mean, I, I get they're backed by Sequoia. I know that uh, Mike Dudas is involved, and I know they've already had a partnerships with Asics to, to sell some Asics digital shoes there. I just, you know, when the buy-in is at $1,000 and you can make $50 a day, like, where does that kind of model start crashing down to make it more, you know, equitable sustainable but also like the barrier of entry entry reduces to kind of scale which is that that means it's not necessarily necessarily a bad thing i just don't know how sustainable some of these models are longer term i think you can model that with generations of shoes so like if you have the original generation of shoes that you know early folks have they become way more expensive as assets so maybe the gem one shoes become worth fifty thousand dollars in time uh, but like new generations of shoes can be bought for 50 bucks, but you earn way, 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 way less. Mm. So you can like essentially choose the level at which you enter. Not many people have been successful, though, at building tokenomics that exist at multiple tiers of entry, mm. other than just 
completely fungibly where you can choose how much you put in in cash. Um, so I, I think that could be a really interesting dynamic for scaling it. Though. Is move to earn the next thing then? <laughs> Curtis, are you going to have to pivot from like the play to earn prints to the move to earn? I don't have an a, a M alliteration, sorry. I mean, it's, it's super interesting. I can think of two ways to hack this immediately. So it'd be interesting to see exactly how they're protecting against some of that stuff. It also uses GPS, Curtis. Yeah, but so did Pokemon Go, and people figured out how to sit in their living room and play Pokemon Go. Really? So, Curtis, one of the things is you can't moonwalk. That's like one of their rules. You can't moonwalk and earn because apparently that can like trick that can trick the GPS. So, no moonwalking allowed. If because you know if you were going to plan on doing that, I'll keep that in mind. Yeah, I feel like with Android, was that like? Was that entirely a bit, or was that a real thing? No, 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 that's no, it legit. Said, it, it, said, it says it like there's no moonwalking when you get the app. It's like in bold as well. You you really can't do it. I feel like on iPhone, it's probably a lot more difficult to hack or get take advantage with. But like with Android, like <laughs> Curtis, um, yeah, Curtis has probably already earned like $1,000 on that. No one has hooked me up with a code, so I have not tried. Oh, soon. Soon for Curtis. And then he'll be moonwalking away. <laughs> Right, I guess it is time for my topic, which is artifacts, monoliths were finally busted open. Um, so after much, much anticipation, much hype, artifact allowed you to open up your monolith iron cubes or boxes, whatever you want to call them, where inside them you got a night crypto kick sneaker, uh, a vial, and then another monolith, which was a bit of a more of a golden tinge. And what you could do is you could basically use the vial on your sneaker to generate a limited edition skin, some of which were rarer than others, some of which were really, really cool, um, some a bit more common and less pricey. I think overall, the kind of monolith price at the time compared to the sneaker vial and the new monolith is a more or less the same, maybe a little bit lower, but I guess you're gambling that you get a, a rare vial. Just before I get into this, Curtis, they also had a bit of a technical hitch, didn't they? In terms of if you were buying already like skinned sneakers, there was an issue on OpenSea, right? Did you see this? Yeah. So what they let you do is you go into their, their website and you can equip the vials onto the, the dunks. And it actually updates on-chain, updates your metadata, so it reflects in OpenSea. We know how OpenSea is with metadata refreshes, though, and they're very slow. And so what you could do is you could equip your shoe with like a demon vial, which I think we're going for like 10 or 12 ETH. But then you could actually go into the website, unequip it, still have someone buy it as the demon one because the metadata wouldn't be refreshed. You'd keep your demon vial and they would just get the stock shoe, which was more around its 2.5 to 3 ETH. So yeah, pretty quickly the artifact team was like, hey, do not buy shoes that have the vials equipped until we figure this this thing out. Yeah, I mean, it does show that even like the leaders in this space from a technical and design perspective can, when they're do, doing something kind of revolutionary or, or new, can get things wrong. So um yeah, that, that was a big issue. But I, I mean, I want to get your take on this because I've been saying for a while that I really do think that Nike's acquisition of Artifact will go down as like one of the best in, in business history up there with, you know, Google buying YouTube and uh, Facebook buying Instagram. And I've kind of done a bit of reading around the margins that 
sneak like companies like Nike and Adidas and, and Reebok are making on sneakers are kind of waning. They're having supply chain issues due to COVID and other geo- geopolitical issues. And I mean, when you acquire a company that can basically magic up tens of millions of dollars um, through digital assets that people love, it just seems like a no brainer that Nike's future starts to trend in that direction. I think I was, you know, if you think about this as a storm in a teacup as well, I think in 2021, there was, it was either 55% of new Sotheby's clients were people selling sneakers or auctioning off sneakers, which is pretty awesome. So I think if you think about like sneakerhead, sports memorabilia, collectible culture, going really mainstream, even from a physical perspective, and then NFTs going mainstream, this just looks like it's only going to head one way, like this um, this marriage. And, you know, I think we, was it uh, really early on, we talked about the the acquisition at some point, like one of our earliest episodes. And I just think that this is going to be a big, big part of Nike's future in, in, in years to come. And I, I kind of want to get your take on it, Chris. Like, how impressed are you by, you know, someone building in Web3 by just how elite the execution is from from Artifact on a consistent basis? Yeah, two things. Obviously, super high quality. I, I agree with you on you know, the long game on, on Nike and Nike, Nike, Nike. They say Nike here, right? <laughs> Nike and, and Artifact, it just in terms of net margin, digital products are insane and digital products that actually further the brand story and deepen the relationship with the customer like i think can be transformative for businesses like that uh more importantly it is exactly two o'clock which if i remember correctly is time for some live minting of the it crypto is, it's a mint.cryptofighters.io i mean i guess i'm gonna have to join the fun here. Uh, assume, watch us none of us be on Let's the list mint some crypto fighters the mint is not live yet. The minting will start at 6 p.m. UTC. I've been I've been refreshing like crazy, but uh, a couple interesting things. Can you put the link in the chat, Colin? A couple interesting things. It's about crypto fighters. It is one of the first projects I know of using a ERC twenty uh, 721R contract, which is a refundable contract. They're the ones that made the contract, correct? Yeah, and there there have been yeah, a couple this is other. Eli. Has anyone else actually deployed one? They they do show some examples of other projects but i think this is kind of the the biggest one they've done i only have enough for two so i'm minting two right now oh success transaction completed how is it that quick i may have been rugged by doodles two as well oh no oh no i'm gonna mint two as well i cannot mint minting four you can't mint you can't mint send send me send me eth i'll mint you two more for mine the trouble is after the first 500 they're going to decrease the max mint and uh by the time i get eth to you it's going to be probably too late Oh man, he's just counting on you uh, sending the ETH for funds. <laughs> That's true. Uh, let's let's message. Actually, let's message and see if we can't get. No, nah, we'll we'll figure it out. I think I may have uh, connected the wrong wallet because I have so so uh, many. Here we go. Oh wow, the artwork looks pretty cool, and they're already verified on OpenSea. How many uh, wallets do you have? And we're in. I've minted. I have enough. <laughs> <laughs> and always, you know disconnect oh wait no this is a different crypto fighters this is crypto fighters alliance it's a different collection than the current one yeah interesting anyway artifact i don't know how much of that we'll use in the actual episode but i guess people love live minting chris you you said you had the live mint chris you said you had two things that you wanted to talk about and you said one of them and then you talked about the live mint and then you were going to go on to the the other was definitely the live mint that was (laughs) what i wanted to talk about (laughs) no like yeah generally excited i'll be honest like i don't have a super clear picture in my head for how those two things work together like i actually think something like stefan 
would be an incredible mm. acquisition for like an Adidas to do something that is like truly integrated into their like overall like lifestyle story, the physical digital uh, sneaker thing. Like I can imagine like you actually being able to manufacture physical versions of your digital sneakers. And I, I think you could do so many cool things with something like that. I think they're on more of a, how do we merge these things story with like Nike and Artifact. I think today they're, kind of two semi non-overlapping audiences in many ways. Um, and they got to try and figure out how to bring those things together and bring NFTs and the kind of like collectible art form to the broad masses. I think Stepan might have something really interesting there. I'd be interested to see whether one of the big lifestyle sports brands approaches them soon. And it's like, here's our entry into NFTs. The one interesting thing that uh, I like with the Vile system they've got set up is they've teased that they have so many potential collaborators who've already approached them, like huge brands that want to make their own version of a Vile for the shoes. So that is that is something that's really cool. The other thing that's really exciting is that the monolith opened up another monolith. So mm. there's going to be so spec. There's either there's two theories. It's either it's another type of shoe because there are a couple other child brands underneath Nike, Jordan, Converse. Or it could be wearables. So maybe you've got like a sweatshirt next and maybe you can equip vials into the sweatshirt and the shoes. So who knows what they'll do with that, but it's it's pretty cool. Let's see. What's the price of Monolith right now, the original one? It's at, oh, it's at, it dropped. It's at 9 ETH. I'm curious if holding that super long term will will boost it up. Looks like there's 12K left. I wonder what happens if you, ho- uh, you can't, but if you collected all the Monolith boxes, like if you if you got all of them, Technically, Somehow. you could if you buy it on secondary. Yeah, exactly. And then you make one like giga model. That would be know? super cool. Don't give Curtis any ideas. Yeah, that that is that is something that the Sunday Drip guys would probably do. I'm not as into artifact as those guys are, but one other interesting thing they did with the vials is a lot of people speculated as people started burning them that they were tied to the original clone that the monolith was dropped to. But it turns out it just the distribution of vials just followed the same rarity curve as the dna for the clones and it act, it was random which is actually nice because the people who lucked out with like a mirakami clone did not get a mirakami vial necessarily someone else randomly could get one which was nice to see because you didn't just have these people with these six-figure clones getting more six-figure drops so that was another so there's an element of gambling now where you could sell the component pieces buy back into monolith and try to reopen it and get a better vial well, the artifact story continues. Before we move into our questions, Chris, what's the latest from Floor? What is the latest from Floor? Uh, so I guess teasing a piece of news that we'll be sharing in the coming weeks, we've let a couple of hints out about uh, one or two folks from the community getting more involved. I think we've announced one or two. I'm forgetting Uh, exactly what is and isn't announced but over the next two weeks we'll have i think four or five more announcements down that path for kind of various different folks and projects and levels of involvement and we're really really excited to be taking more seriously building more structure and more um, incentives around the folks who are really driving things from within the community both by you know welcoming some of them uh into the floor company team um, and by recognizing and kind of structuring around folks more structure and recognition uh, for the work that they're doing uh, inside of the community. So 
more to come there, uh, but that's something that's been really front of mind for us over the last three or four weeks and that uh, a lot of stuff's going to be dropping in the next week or two. Wow, super exciting. Really, really excited to hear what goes down. Let's move on to some community questions. This is from Storm13. What does the team think are the conditions required for a project to be considered a blue chip? That's an interesting question. Corwin? It's so difficult. We're, we're barely a year into this space, Pat. Like, will will any of these projects we consider blue chip today still be around in two years? It's a good question. My thing is, how much does historical significance matter? Like, two years down the line, is someone going to rather buy a Moonbird because Kevin Rose runs it? Or are they going to rather, would they rather buy like a, I don't know, another now blue chip project, but maybe that doesn't have a stronger team. I think it's an interesting question and something I think about quite a lot, weirdly. And I'm not sure. I I don't necessarily think new means you can't crash the party and become like a really big part of an ecosystem, which as you mentioned is already, well, still really, really young. Yeah. I I don't know the answer to that. We'll see. (laughs) I really... The default. The default Yeah, I don't know what to say. Honestly though, like what defines a blue chip is so like everyone has a completely different definition and like i said like we're only a year into like board ape like what if what if they make one wrong move down the road obviously i don't think they're going to go to zero but like are they will they still be valued as a blue chip what if like in two years from now we have projects that are like 10x their size i have no idea this is from no sensei if you could only buy one current blue chip which one would you buy and why curtis at this very moment, money, no object? Yeah, money, no object. Oh, that's tough. Uh, for me, it'd be a toss-up between an ape and moonbirds. Ape, because going into other side, they are getting a drop and a bunch of other things. They're quite well positioned if you own an ape for that. Uh, moonbird, just because serious FOMO uh, of missing out at like the 10 ETH floor. And there's potential for some really crazy rewards down the line for holding and nesting those things. So, yeah. Chris? Punk or Moonbird, I think. Um, do I get like 10 Moonbirds instead of one punk? If so, I think it's I think it's Moonbird. No Ahoy Boys. I don't know. No boys. How many Ahoy Boys do I get? I can get the whole collection for less than one Moonbird. <laughs> that would be something to... I don't, I don't even know what that would be. That would be quite something. Uh, Corwin, yourself? Yeah, I think I'm going to go with punks. I think their value and historical re- re- relevance at the moment would be huge. Also, I think doodles could come out on top as a as a blue chip in the in the future. I mean, it already is a blue chip, but down the line. Yeah. I think I'd have to go for an ape as well. I think I would. Who, who said ape? Curtis said ape. Yeah. I, I would do ape. At this moment in the current meta, I would do an ape over... I mean, I guess it depends. Could I get four moonbirds for for one ape? Then that might skew it's it. It's just one. Yeah. One singular it, it, one. It'd have to be an ape because then I could sell the ape and get four moonbirds. <laughs> right. Next question from So Henry. Why haven't dynamic NFTs taken off yet? Examples would be Rubber Duck Party and Peaceful. Thanks. Anyone want to take this? Why haven't dynamic NFTs taken off yet? What does Peaceful, because I haven't, I, I know of the project, but what does anyone know what the dynamic piece of their NFT is? I actually don't know. I've heard of it. I don't know much about it. Yeah, I think Rubber Duck Bath Party is just, at the end of the day, it's just a, I mean, it is very cool mechanic. The vibes are very good with all the parties. But at the end of the day, it's just an iframe that shows you all your previous versions. Like there's nothing that's actually 
that dynamic about it. The coolest thing I've seen is the um, generated dungeons. That's the coolest one that I've seen of an NFT where you actually get to play like a little uh, top-down RPG. This is really random, but Riverside, the thing that we used to record our podcast, just raised $35 million. That's crazy for a podcast recording thing, Series B. I think, unpopular opinion, I just think a lot of the dynamic NFT players are too complicated. I think they have a similar issue to a lot of the PTE games in that when people are seeing like a lot of these NFTs fly, like go crazy in price, the FOMO to like want to get involved on that end rather than take your time and, you know, go to duck parties or, or play a PTE game. I do think it's difficult to kind of like compartmentalize that FOMO and ignore everything else and, and concentrate on those things. Also, people only have so much time. And if you're like an NFT collector and you have like, I know, let's say you, you have a normal job and you buy NFTs every now and then you spend like an hour a day on NFTs. Are you going to spend that on researching things that you might want to just buy and hold? Or are you going to spend that one hour on, you know, sending a duck to parties or playing a PTE game? I think that's something that maybe people underestimate, that not everyone has loads of time in this space. It's a great reminder that most people are just here to speculate. And mm. yeah, the rubber duck bath party is truly one of the first things that I've done. that I was like, man, this is really fun. It really was a fun, delightful little experience uh, in the floor office. We all kind of did it together and sent our ducks to the party, listened to some music, like laughed about, you know, just really fun experience. And then a few hours later, went back and picked up our ducks and you know, saw what had happened. It really was a fun, immersive experience. It didn't make any of us any money. And that is what motivates the average NFT participant today. Mm. And so things that drive price are typically more related to hype than actual interesting like mechanics. And so either the dynamicness needs to somehow like meaningfully create liquidity, or you know, we just need to wait and find a different set of users who are kind of more excited to mm. you know, culturally attach versus just financially. That that inspires that I, I saw this quote on Twitter and so I can't I can't remember who did it, but I sent this to Corin earlier, but it's uh there are two types of people in NFTs. One is people who are interested in, in the money, and two are liars. <laughs> I I I think rubber ducky has like the potential and the hype to take off. I mean, their Twitter, like they get so much engagement, but if you look at NFTs as a whole, like 99% of projects don't go above their their mint price or they mm. they fall. I, and there's so few dynamic NFTs right now. I think it's really, you just have to really have that one that's going to completely take off. Did you guys see the The Friends Series 2? The little like playable Flappy Duck style game? I thought that was kind of cool. I haven't seen that. No. Yeah, it's there. It's... The free reveal NFT itself is like a little JavaScript Oh, game. interesting. I'm curious, Chris, how does that look in app? Uh, right now, it just fails to render. Um, <laughs> the, the nice thing is, so no one thought about any of these things when they were designing these standards because there's a URL that will just return you something and then you need to kind of try and figure out what to do with it and be like, oh, it looks like the image came back as an HTML blob. May as well like try and render it in a web view and see what happens. So we'll, we'll definitely get to that at some point as they become more popular, but it, it hasn't been a priority up till today. Next question. This is from Floor is Lava. What are the most important things you look for in an NFT project and has that changed? I'll, I'll go first. One thing I've seen recently is that 
if you asked me two or three months ago, I would have said roadmap is team and then roadmap and then some other factors. Roadmap for me now is almost a net negative because so few actually deliver on the things that they say they're going to do. I I would much prefer to put more stock in like the team and other facets of the project and not what fluffy language they can put on a website because usually it doesn't amount to much. I think vibes is the most important thing, right? Zero cool has a question here. Oh, go on, Chris, sorry. Oh, I I think um, honestly the only thing I have time for is if the Florentese Alpha channel is chatting about it, I'm probably in. If not, I'm probably not. Um, I basically use that as my uh, my predictor these days. Or, you know, there's a couple other discords and, and slacks that I use similarly. But I take all of my signal from others these days. Yeah, I was going to say, getting the signal, cutting the signal from the noise in NFTs is so hard because it's so noisy. And kind of creating yourself a process whereby you're more likely to find that signal is... Pretty important. Um, yeah. Question here from Zero Cool. How about an other side update? Is it too late to get in? If not, is it worth trying to buy? What do you think will be part of these lands? Any other hot takes? Corwin, I know you're buzzing to talk about this. I mean, I didn't do the KYC, so not exactly buzzing. But it seems it definitely seems interesting. Like 55,000 are up for sale. Correct me if I'm wrong, Curtis. And I think 40,000 are going to be given away to current holders and uh, current ape holders. And only, and you have to use ApeCoin to buy it. And only people who KYC'd are able to purchase it from the Dutch auction. I think it starts at like 300 ApeCoin. I think this is all speculation, by the way. It starts at 300 ApeCoin and goes down to 100 ApeCoin. So it's definitely going to be interesting to see how much people purchase this. And from their deck too, they also previewed like this like profile pick thing called like Kodos, which look sick. I think 10% of land, it was teased in the deck. Like 10% of the land holders will get these Kodos. So it's definitely going to be interesting to see. But I will not be participating. Damn. So probably too late to get in if you haven't already, but you can buy them on secondary. Curtis, are you looking at this? Yes, I did KYC. And so if you want to send me all your ape, I will gladly help you out. But seriously, yeah, I'm pretty pretty excited about this just because it's going to be interesting to see what they do with this Dutch auction, if the KYC is going to be used to prevent botting, because if it's just a regular duck. Dutch auction, it's going to be an absolute bloodbath in terms of gas war, unless they can implement something that will help uh, curtail that. And then, yeah, just the chance of getting a coda, chance to be part of the other sides, which is probably the next big liquidity thing to happen in NFTs right now, besides Moonbirds, which I think was kind of an anomaly. But yeah, I'm definitely going to be in there minting. I've already swapped for a little bit of Ape. I'll probably continue to swap Ape in the lead up to Saturday's mint. But yeah, I'm pretty bullish on uh on the land sale. What about yourself, Chris? Oh, honestly, completely not tracked it. I made a choice quite a while ago to just like not really bother with the board ape ecosystem. <laughs> and like, I have no personal ape. I have no personal bases, Macy's, Baxi's. I'm part of a bunch of investing groups that hold bases and ape, but I just, I decided Basie was not my thing and have never watched or followed really meaningfully. Fair enough. I think I'm going to do one more question because we are running out of time. This is from Max Ralph. Is Captain Crunch the original Ahoy Boy? He is. And he's awesome. And so are Ahoy Boys. <laughs> Corwin has his, <laughs> his head in his hands. You know, if I could only have one NFT, 
and Ahoy Boy or an Adam Bomb Squad, I definitely choose an Ahoy Boy. Can I just say, saying Ahoy Boy is one of the most satisfying things, like, ever. Right. Is there many words in the English language or two words together that are more satisfying to say? I'm not sure there is. If any listener can, you know, give me a pairing of words that is more satisfying to say than Ahoy Boy. I, I heard the floor offices have a bunch of blue chip NFTs up on the wall and also have an Ahoy Boy, <laughs> interestingly enough. Ahoy Boy is a blue chip NFT. Watch your mouth. <laughs> Watch your mouth. Thank you, Curtis, uh, for saying what needed to be said. Uh, yeah, there will be an Ahoy Boy proudly displayed in Floor HQ. Oh, my goodness. Also, we, we need something as fun to say when people join a Discord as Ahoy. Because you could see, like, Ahoy is so fun to type in Discord because you, you kind of say it in your head when you do it. We don't have anything like that except, like, GM in uh, in Floor. So we need we need something. Mm. Maybe it's Ahoy. <laughs> Maybe Ahoy is the new Yeah, we GM. could just say Ahoy. There has been one thing I have been wondering this entire podcast, though. So. Go on. There's five people in this room, but there's only four of us. So I wonder who's stealth watching us. Wow, that is um, scary, but also interesting. I wonder who it is. Any guesses, Curtis? I have no idea. How Can't you see people participating? I can't, no. And I'm the host. That's not very good. My, my guess is it's Pet's other laptop or something I, boring like uh, that. It says, it says me and three others are in the room, but there's one spectating, I guess. Well, I mean, whoever it is. I feel like I feel like at this point, you should just, like, whoever it is, just, like, say hi. <laughs> can we pull them up on stage? Yeah, can we bring him on stage? They've been here for an hour and a half. I don't think we can. You think it's Barker? I don't think so. Could be Barker. He does know the link. Maybe. Maybe it's Barker. If it is you, Barker, I hope you enjoyed the live show. It is freaky, though, because we have changed the date of recording. Oh, oh no, here. but Chris did tweet out that we are recording. Ah. Uh, so maybe they still have the link. But from I did last remove. Time. I did see that. I did remove the link in the URL bar this time, unlike every other time. <laughs> right. Well, on that note, we've had a great time, the four of us back together, plus our random uh, watcher, listener in the live studio. Thank you so much to you listeners not listening live uh, for listening. You can find us at The Floorcast on Twitter. You can find me at Pet Berisha, P-E-T-B-E-R-I-S-H-A. And you can find Corwin. At 0x Corwin on Twitter or in the Floor Discord. And you can find Chris and Floor NFTs at? At Chris Madden and at Floor NFTs. Or always come stop by the Discord and say hi. Awesome. And you can find Curtis. Curtis J. Cummings on Twitter and through uh, Discord pretty much everywhere, but mostly in floor. We can't find Curtis. <laughs> Someone called Curtis on Discord. They're like, thanks, CJC. <laughs> CJC. Oh, that's quite good. Oh, right. If you've made it this far, please do subscribe to the show if you haven't done already. And if you're listening to the final few seconds here, please do rate us five stars on Apple or Spotify. It really helps us out, boosts us in the charts. Corwin keeps saying to me he's desperate to see us in the um, top 200 tech US charts on Apple Podcasts. So do it for Corwin. Do it for Corwin. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening and have a great week. We'll have more Floorcast for you next Wednesday. <laughs>